Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Nathan Oblack. Hello and welcome to another Worldview Wednesday edition of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Our mission is the preservation and advancement of the truth, freedom, and beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the renewal of all of life and culture. I'm your host, Nathan Oblack, and I'm again joined by Ryan Aris. Joe is away for the podcast today, but will be back with us next week. This week, we have a special guest with us in the Knox Cellar, Russ Hebert. Russ is the founder and managing partner of Flint Learning Solutions, a corporate learning company specializing in the development of custom learning solutions. He spent seven years at Hewlett-Packard in a variety of sales and marketing positions, then becoming the VP of sales with a Toronto-based systems integration company, later acquired by TELUS. Russ then became president of a software development and consulting company specializing in business process transformation and automation. Russ serves as the chair of the Elders Board for Westminster Chapel in Toronto, where he preaches regularly. He spent many years in youth ministry and directed Camp Cherith near Ottawa. He also serves as a director of our Worldview Leadership Camp, along with his wife, Susie. Russ and Susie live in Toronto and have nine children. Yes, nine children, between ages 13 and 27. It's great to have you here today, Russ. Thanks, Nathan. Good to be here. Russ is here with us uh, as this week we're currently hosting a three-day residential training program called Worldview and the Marketplace, and Russ is one of our speakers. The program seeks to equip business leaders with a comprehensive Christian worldview that can be applied to the sphere of business and economics. And the topic we're going to to discuss today is very much tied to the program, and that is the theology of work or a biblical understanding of work. And to help us jump into this topic, Uh, Ryan's going to share a recent news article with us. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Russ, it's good to have you with us. Uh, We, uh, you're not here regularly, so we wanted to to nab you for for this opportunity. So we're glad that uh, that you could make the time. I'm. I wanted to sort of kickstart our discussion today by reading an article that was published uh, just last night, I think, uh, from the Economic Times, and I'm just going to pull out a couple of quotes here and then over to you for some commentary. The, uh, the title is why your identity should be more than your day job. And, uh, the author, I'm just going to pull out a few, uh, a few lines here. He says, why do you refer to your work as your identity? Whether you say oh, I'm a doctor, a teacher, entrepreneur, auditor, or whatever other title. Uh, and he, uh, he goes on in this article to say, let's see how to make a career-defined identity work for you while avoiding its pitfalls. He goes on, your occupation-driven identity may lend you meaning and a purpose larger than yourself. If you're starting out in your career, uh, if you're estranged from social roots, your occupation gives you a fabulous first identity, identity or a unique voice where none existed. However, over-dependence on this will lead you to pain, and so reduce dependence on having multiple identities and discovering meaning from within. He goes on to talk about some of the pitfalls that, uh, that can arise from uh, sort of overly emphasizing uh, your, your workplace identity. 
And I just wanted to push, uh, push it over to you and say, what, what do we make of this? What do we make of our identity? How does it relate to what we, what we do, how we make a living and how we understand ourselves in, uh, as image bearers of God in God's world, uh, trying to be faithful stewards of what he's uh, given to us. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I guess, you know, we all have been at those social events when we get introduced to somebody and very quickly the subject of our profession or occupation comes up. And, and I think some of us are you maybe a little bit squeamish about getting into that or starting there in terms of, um, you know, in terms of um, identifying ourselves solely with, with our career. But I think when people, you know, ask what we do, I, I, I tend to think it's probably most of the time just because, you know, it's what we do 160 to 200 hours a week. And so people, when they're socializing, uh, are looking for a connection point, right? So the best way I can connect is where you spend most of your time. And so I think uh, it, it, I don't read too much into someone being interested in the type of work that I do, or I don't think that in and of itself is an indication that, uh, um, you know, people immediately associate our value and our identity with what we do. But, you know, with that said, I, I do think that there are pitfalls and I think that there is a certain balance that we can, um, that we can, um, seek, uh, you know, in, in scripture, we, we see, examples of a person being identified to some degree with their position you have uh matthew the the tax collector you've got uh you know luke the beloved physician you know uh i don't know whether it says peter the fisherman but we always think of him in in those terms um i you know but i don't know whether to put a whole lot of meaning in this but i don't usually see the profession. I don't think you can think of a situation, maybe I'm wrong in scripture, where you see the profession coming first. It's the person's name, you know, it's Luke. And, and, and then his position follows. It's, and, uh, and, and you, there is even cases in scripture where a person's, um, uh, there's a negative connotation like Rahab the harlot, for example. And I think that's, that's a reminder of the grace of God you know, in her life that elevated her from that, that position. And so, um, I do think that, um, the person stands alone, first of all, in terms of, of their value and their worth. But then, uh, I, I think that it's the fact that they've been able to, you know, um, they have an area of focus and expertise that they have been able to apply, um, you know, directly to serving the Lord. But I do think that we have to be careful um, that our our job does not become our, our career profession does not become our entire identity. And sometimes I think the Lord has to, you know, some of us have had to go through situations that are very difficult where um, the Lord will take away, you know, our that identity from us, and uh, and you can be left feeling, um, you know, I, I think uh, a parent can feel when their their children have grown up and and they're empty nesters that suddenly their worth and value is gone. And uh, I think when when somebody is is laid off or loses their job, I think that there's a real danger there. And I think um you know the uh the titles like uh 
that we put in front of our name or after our name, we have to be careful um, that we don't put too much on those. I think of, you know what I think of, um, of Moses uh, when he was, when, when uh, God was sending him to go and speak with Pharaoh and, uh, and God said, what is that you have in your hand? And, uh, and it was a staff, of course it was the, but that staff was more than a stick. It was the symbol of his identity. And God said, cast it down. And, uh, and you could say, you know, Moses could have said, well, like that's, that's everything I have. That's what I stand for. That's my identity. That's who I am. It's, it represents everything, cast it down. And, uh, so why did God ask him to cast it down? Um, and I think the reason he has to be cast it down is well, when he cast it down, it became a serpent. And, uh, and, and uh, he could see it as he could, you know, and then he could pick it up again in a new power and in, in a power that wasn't his own power, but he could use that, that staff then to lead uh, the whole, you know, the, the people of Israel. And so when um, we stop seeing our position, our career as being, uh, our identity, um, but rather seeing it as what God has entrusted us with. And then in God's power, we pick that up and we use it for the glory of God. I think there's a great power there. So I don't know, that's what comes to mind as you, you know, as you mentioned, um, our, our profession, identifying or getting our identity from our profession. Well, and I think many of our listeners might be making this connection as well, but there's an obvious connection here between people placing their identity solely in their career. And this, um, uh, there are many statistics demonstrating an increase in depression and even suicides during a lot of these um, COVID lockdowns and business closures. And, you know, as a ministry that is focused on um, equipping people with a biblical worldview, uh, how might that biblical worldview and a proper understanding of what work actually is um, help in regards to this current crisis that we're seeing? Like, what what is uh, the biblical purpose of work? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a it is a, a an alarming thing, um, and we know you know quite aside from a person drawing their identity from their work, we you know, we read in Ecclesiastes that our, our work is given to us is, is something that, you know, takes our, our mind in one respect off the futility of life. And, uh, there is a, you know, there is a joy in being occupied. I, I, you know, we are made in the image of God. And when we, um, when we create, when we restore, when we complete, when we work in relationship with other people and do good things, we, re we reflect, we, represent represent but we represent the image of god and in doing that there is a there is a joy there's a satisfaction that comes with that now you take that away from a person and um and you know you, you have them sit at home um uh or you know interact merely with other people through um you know through their computer and you you do a number on that person, and 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 so you know it it isn't we shouldn't really wonder that there isn't um, a certain amount of um, uh, of depression and a certain amount of discouragement associated with that. But I think your question really was what can we do, you know, what can we do about that? 
and uh you know i've 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 thought about that a fair bit um and i think that there are some things that employers i suppose can do about that um but i think that there's uh you know it has to really start with the person that's been um uh it starts with the employee sometimes and one of the things that um that i think we you know we need to do is um to not be solely focused on the uh the things that we can't do in all of this and spend too much time whimpering and whining about all the you know yeah I mean, it is a serious thing i mean businesses have been cut off from their customers and from their employees employees have been cut off from their jobs but we're you know we have to remember that if we believe that Christ is Lord of all. God is not up there in heaven wringing his hands over what's going to happen about COVID. He knew exactly that this was going to happen. And he allowed the circumstances that, that uh, in, in our lives that led to this to prepare us for this. He hasn't been taken by surprise. And there is something that we can do. And, that we, and, and if we would um, look um, thoughtfully at how God, where God has placed us, what he has given us to do, um, what he has gifted us to do, uh, that we would see the opportunities in it. I mean, some of my children, um, through all of this have gotten jobs that they would never have gotten because, you know, we had a lot of people sitting at home getting, you know, more interested in collecting CERB payments than going to work. And it, and it created a gap in the marketplace. And so for them, there was an opportunity. Um, uh, you know, for the professional that, that can't get into work, um, you know, I think we have to maybe deal a little bit with our own fear and make the effort to interact with others, uh, and find those opportunities to interact in others. I mean, somebody once said that when I dig another man out of his tr troubles, I dig a grave for all my own sorrows. And sometimes, uh, intense focus upon myself and my isolation and my problems and that my needs just has this way of getting me down. Um, you know, maybe we need to go talk to our neighbor. Maybe we got, we, we got to go and talk to somebody else. We've got people like we have a, an office that, you know, you could shoot a cannon through and not hit anyone. And it drives me crazy sometimes, but we've uh, been able to open that office up to other people that aren't able to go into their, uh, into their work. So there are always opportunities. It's a big question. I don't, you know, pretend to have all the answers to that, but I think that, you know, we can't just look for, uh, we can't just put this all on the employer to figure it out. Um, we have to take ownership for where we find ourselves and we have to look for the opportunities. Now, from an employer's perspective, I think we have to be careful um, uh, on the one hand, not to be um, disparaging of, of people that are facing, that feel genuine fear and concern over all of this. Uh, and I think that there are certain accommodations that, you know, we have sought to make as a company in order to, you know, to address the concerns of those that, you know, need to take public transportation and, and have elderly um, parents at home and whatever. And I think that there are things that we can do, whether or not we agree to, you know, with, with all of these, uh, these things, even if we see it perhaps as uh, unnecessary that, you know, the scriptures say they that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please themselves. Um, but I think the other thing too, is that leaders, real leaders can't 
um, go around with all kinds of fear themselves. You know, if we really believe that the Lord is in control, then we need to we need to set our fears aside and we need to engage. Um, uh, we need to, to engage in our in our work, given the limitations that we have. And um, so I think we have to deal with our own fear. Um, so that would be my, you know, perhaps my response to my not so quick response to your question. I, I was reading just the other day, if, uh, if we can dwell on this uh, working remotely question, uh, something like over 3 million Canadians in the past seven months of lockdown have, uh, have shifted to remote work. And as of September, three quarters of that 3 million have still not gone back into the office or not regularly. Um, so I'm, I'm just wondering if you see sort of big picture, what, is, what does this mean for the future of work, uh, of what it means to be human? You mentioned that uh, you don't have the same, the same face-to-face capability, the same handshake, hand-on-the-shoulder kind of uh, opportunities to connect. But uh, what, what do you see as, uh, as the future of work as we look at a a uh, lockdown and post-lockdown kind of uh, economy. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you'll you'll hear different stories from different people. You'll hear um, some people saying, um, "Look, I've been you know significantly more productive since I've been working from home. Uh, I I don't have to make my commute. I don't have uh, all the uh, interruptions that I once had. I can you know I can get my work done. I've got more time for my family. I can get this work." work, rest, balance better and, and everything. You'll, you'll see other people that are really, um, uh, you know, are quite zoomed out, if you, if you will. And, um, you know, what I would say is this, is that I, I think that for a, a period of time, um, you know, you can perhaps go on like this. And I think that there are some positions where people know what they need to do um, and they can just heads down, you know, hunker down and do it. Um, but the thing, the problem is that business is change, business changes, um, change is a constant, you know, and, and it's, and, uh, the ability to navigate change is critical to a business. So when we all ran off to our homes in COVID and we were on a certain trajectory, that same trajectory can continue for a period of time, but the challenge is going to be with enculturating people into the organization. When you bring on new people. How do you, how do you um, put, you know, how do you enculturate them when everybody's working remotely? Uh, so much of what it takes, I think, to um, onboard someone, as well as to uh, upskill or reskill someone, requires, um, I believe, mentorship, and mentorship that that is not um, uh, that that does require a certain amount of proximity. Uh, to to a person, so I think that um, well, it is true that some people can do what they do and do it effectively from home, and there may be some certain roles that we can continue to function that way. I don't think it is sustainable for businesses that are going to stay on the cusp of uh, the needs in our society to continue to function with 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 everybody um, uh, just simply working from their home. There's a certain energy. There's a certain um, that we get from being in, 
in proximity with one another and working through a problem with a marker in our hands and a whiteboard. I know there's technologies, collaboration technologies that we can use, but, um, and, and I, I think that mentorship and, um, uh, working with people to, um, um, pass along tribal knowledge, um, and experience to others. I'm not sure that that gets done very well in remote settings. And so I think that there, you know, for really, truly successful for businesses that are going to be successful, I can speak more to small businesses. Um, I think there's going to have to be a certain amount of return to some kind of a, a real world collaboration. Um, it may not ever be to the scale that it was before, but I think there, I personally think there's got to be some kind of a return to that. Yeah. Great. And uh, Russ, I, I just wanted to to pose this to you because you've brought it up uh, a few times uh, during the, the current program that we're running here. Um, but you've, you've talked quite a bit about um, how the Bible has a lot to say uh, about how employers can, can be a blessing to their employees and their clients um, just through a, a proper understanding of, of work and a proper understanding of um, a holistic view of, of people as opposed to um, viewing them as merely an economic abstraction, viewing them as merely a, a source of profit. I wonder if you could, you could speak to that reality a little mm, bit. Yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, that's, that's, that's very true. You know, I've seen, um, for example, I mean, all my life, I've really been a sales guy. That's kind of, it's kind of what I, what I do. And I've seen, you know, millions of dollars being spent on advanced sales training to, you know, to make people uh, effective at, you know, at, at selling. And, you know, I, I think there's a certain amount of goodness to I'm, I'm in that profession. But a lot of that um, really comes down to what happens quite naturally when we realize that the people that we work with, whether they be in customers or whether they be employees, are people that are made in the image of God and that God loves. And when we, um, we, we look at our interaction with them, let's take customers first of all, we, we don't simply think about, now how can I um, you know, manipulate things to create uh, a perception in them that they need my product? but set my product aside and what I might want to achieve with that customer. And with a certain abandon, focus in on them. Focus in on what, is, what their challenges are. Focus in on you know, the, the, the whole person and, and the things that they're struggling for and, and have a real genuine care for them as someone that is made in the image of God. Um, and then from that, to um, to start to look at how have I been how is the um, the things that I've been given perhaps as a representative of my organization or as a business owner how am I uniquely positioned or am I at all uniquely positioned to address myself to bringing rest to them to bringing a sense of peace to them to bringing hope to them in that situation and then um, and then looking at how to um, to connect with their organization to to allow um, you know to allow a, a mutual benefit where um, you know um, value can flow to them in return to in return for uh, 
um, money that uh, and profit that helps the business to be able to grow and scale um, so that it can um, bring that that to other people. Um, so so I, I, I think that we have to, you know, we talk about the direction of work. There, there can be um, a real preoccupation with what I am doing. And I think, Ryan, this is what you talked about at the start is what I am doing and, you know, that that specific thing I do. But uh, I would prioritize why you do what you do. And um, I think when we get why we do what we do right, um, a lot flows from um, from that. You know, the uh, in the story of the talents, you know, we talked about this earlier today. You've got... Um, you know, this, the, the, the servants that had two talents and five talents and they immediately go and trade with it. And I suspect that as they trade with it, they realize that, Hey, this, this money that I've been entrusted with invested in my master's name earns a profit and allows me to engage in the life of other people, help them buy homes, help them, uh, their businesses grow. I mean, I've been entrusted with so much. This is, this is a, an amazing opportunity. I, I really love my master, you know, that he gave me this opportunity and I, and I, and, and, and lets me gain this return from, I can't wait till he gets back. Well, so why I, you know, um, they didn't change what they were doing. They were doing that before their master went away and they just continued to do the same thing. Um, but there was clarity on why they wanted to, they were doing it for, um, uh, for the, for the benefit of their master, for the blessing, for the, in our case, for the, uh, the, for the glory of, of the master, for the glory of the Lord and for the blessing of people. Um, when that why is right later on, uh, the what changes as well, because when the master returns, he promotes them. And yet I think so often we, we chase what and the remuneration and that promotion never comes. If we prioritize why we do what we do for the glory of God, for the blessing of, of all people, and especially those of the household of faith, I think we see that the, 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 there's built-in rewards um, for doing that. What you just said about why we do, um, what, why we do what we do, it, uh, it lines up really well with the you know, the first question in the the Westminster Catechism: What's the chief end of man? To enjoy God and to glorify Him forever, or to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think anyone would uh, would argue that nobody here certainly would argue that uh, that that is the ultimate why. But uh, there are there are many other sort of knock on benefits to to work. Um, I wonder if uh, you could just say a little bit about what are some of the uh, the good or the uh, the good whys of why we work, and some of the the reasons that uh, that we should be wary of? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, I think some of the you know the other benefits um, to work are that uh, there is a you know I think there is a a joy that we have in creating because God is a creator and he's made us to love to create. God is a recreator and he restores. And so we have this, I love restoring things. I find a broken old lamp, it'd be cheaper to buy a new one, but there's just something about taking that thing apart and finding that broken wire and replacing it. I mean, maybe it's just me, but um, there is something that makes me want to restore. There's something uh, about you know, completing a project, whether it's, you know, something you're, you know, mulching your garden or whether it's, uh, 
um, building something, you know, there's something about standing back after that and, uh, you, you know, and, um, uh, rejoicing and having completed something, getting through that. And, and I, and so it, it is for the glory of God, but God has made us in such a way that it brings joy to our own hearts and it brings satisfaction, um, to, you know, to our own hearts. And this is the tragedy, I think, when people, um, when people prioritize wealth creation above doing what God has written on their hearts. Uh, this is the tragedy when people are so um, fixated on security that they feel imprisoned to their, their job and never get to recognize what God has placed in them and to explore what he has given, uh, what he has given uh, to them to do. Um, so I think some of the dangers um, is when we put a wrong priority on wealth creation. Wealth creation is important. Um, but when I want just merely to show that I have the, uh, symbols of success, you know, you can make yourself a slave to that and never have the joy of producing in the way that God has created you to and enjoying the you know, the raw materials that he's put in into creation to explore and to study. Um, um, you know, I think we, we miss out on that uh, a lot. And, um, and I think, you know, the other thing is, is selfishness, right? It's just, you know, selfishness that I can consume. You know, you, it says in James, you, um, you have not because you ask not, you ask not and you receive not because you ask and miss that you may consume it upon your lusts. To, you know, God blesses so that we will be a blessing to others. And, you know, when we take the freedom that, um, uh, that he has given us um, and the uh, wealth that he has entrusted to us, and we use that to bring rest to others, we participate in the mission of God to, to bring rest to others. You know, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest, um, Jesus said. And he came to give us rest from from our works and from and from the load of sin and, and trying to earn our salvation through works. And he did the work on the cross and completed that work. Um, and, uh, and you know, when, um, and so he, he brought, he brought rest to people in that way. Now we can bring rest to tired people as well. People, there's so much, so much loneliness, so much sorrow, so much misery out there. We can bring rest as well. And when we bring that rest through quality work, unselfishly delivered, to, to people, um, we, you know, we create opportunities, um, to tell them about the one that can bring them that ultimate rest. So I guess your question was, what are the wrong perspectives? What are the right perspectives? Selfishness, self-centeredness, um, prioritizing the symbols of wealth. Um, those are things that I think we, we really need, uh, uh, God to help us gain a proper biblical view on the motive for our work. Russ, thanks a lot for being here today. Uh, before I let you go, we're, uh, we never tire and of uh, acknowledging that, uh, that we're, we're in unprecedented times here. And I'm just, uh, just wondering, as we, as we talk about the world of work, there are a lot of people who find themselves suddenly out of work, find themselves, maybe, maybe uh, this is an opportune time uh, for a career change, or you mentioned that... Uh, some of your kids have had actually more opportunity to get into the workforce. Uh, what uh, what advice would you give to somebody that have 
on the brink of a big change in work uh, at uh, at this time in the in uh, in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one, and I and I you know I as I say this, I'm conscious of the fact that there's probably somebody out there that has been out of work for some time, has been laid off, and I I I don't want to say something that's trite that that makes um, makes light of the fact that they have been uh, unable to do the job that they are that they are in and it isn't an, an, an easy thing it isn't an easy thing just to sort of transition on a dime into you know and to figure out um, uh, what to you know what to do you know with so, but with that said uh, you know I I would say that there are opportunities as people uh, start to think about how to work um, in completely different ways. Businesses have been created as a result of what's going on. I know businesses that have thrived because of, of, of what's going on. Um, there are, you know, there are people that have, for example, figured out how to deliver goods and services in, in, in different ways that um, have been able to thrive. And so I, I guess the first thing I would say, if, if, you're, a, if you're a Christian and you are um, you have been put out of your work and uh, you, and you're struggling with what you should do right now is uh, we um we do have to try to overcome the 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 self-pity and the um, you know churning in our own misery too long. Uh, the Lord does know your situation. He does know what you're going through right now. and um, sometimes these things open up doors. There are organizations that for a long time that I know of, have never really made the transition, for example, to um, providing their goods and services online, and this whole thing has forced them to do that, and is helping their, you know, and and their businesses will come out of, of this much more successful because they put in place suddenly they've been forced to put in place the infrastructure that's necessary to make that happen, um, you know, and there are other examples, um, organizations that um, um, have have productized that, you know, our company is going through a shift where we're, we're, we're productizing, we're a services-based company and we we're bringing a product to market. So there are opportunities. And I think that um, we need to converse with other people. We need to get out of the house and collaborate with people. And doesn't, doesn't sometimes it, you know, people in your church, other business people that you know, um, start getting, warm up your network again and start talking to other people about what they're doing, what they're seeing um, engage with life again, try to come over the, get around the fear of getting out there, get out there. I'd encourage you to get, get out there and talk to people, have some, some discussions with people about what they're doing and then ask God to show you the opportunities. You know, the, the story, uh, in the Bible where that the woman was, was losing her two sons to the creditor and she cries up to the prophet Elisha and says, what should I do? And he said, what do you have in the house? Go and see. And so, um, she says, she says nothing but this jar of oil. And it's through that jar of oil, you know, you know, I think a picture of the spirit of God that, um, that she is, she is, um, uh, um, delivered and stories abound like the, the young boys lunch, the, the Lord tends to work with what we already have. And sometimes working with others, talking with others about some of the things that God has uniquely given you. Um, that maybe you've never really had the opportunity to use before. God could use the situation to, in a, in a, in a real way of blessing to, to put you on new paths of fruitfulness and productivity. 
So I encourage you to get out there to talk to people, um, to uh, look to the Lord, to examine what you have in the house and seek to apply it for the glory of God and for the blessing of his kingdom. Great. Well, thank you so much for that, Russ. And thank you for being on with us today. It's a pleasure. And uh, we thank you listeners for tuning into the podcast. And we continue to encourage you to have a look at our website, ezrainstitute.ca, where you can find articles, lectures, sermons, and details on all of our residential training programs. And we hope you will join us again for next week's Worldview Wednesday. God bless. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time.